Hello and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Bundesliga podcast. Um, my name is David Seymour. As always, I'm joined by Cam Megan. And this week, we are lucky to be joined by Max Bergman. Um, Max is another analyst for Total Football Analysis. Um, he makes these incredible videos as well for our YouTube channel and turns articles from the website into fantastic videos. So you should definitely check that out. And he's someone that both Cam and I have wanted to get on the podcast for some time now. So it's really great to have him on. Hello, Max. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Glad to be on here. Excellent. And Cam, how are you? Good, you? Yeah, yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yep. Um, and the reason we wanted to get Max on was we had that email we spoke about um, last week or two weeks ago, didn't we, Cam? Um, mm-hmm. I believe it was from, I think it was Rob Fleming about tactical trends within the Bundesliga. So that was something that we wanted to get Max on to talk about. He's someone that both Cam and I enjoy um, reading very much so. So uh, to start us off, I thought we'd look at uh, the 442 in the Bundesliga and how it's used, um, the trends within that formation. Um, Max, do you want to introduce us to the 442 and sort of what teams you've been looking at? Yeah, we, we aimed at looking for this podcast um, at Schalke 04 and at uh, Bayern Munich. Um, they both play very different versions of the 4-4-2. So Schalke deploy a 4-4-2 with a midfield diamond. And Bayern Munich, they play sort of a 4-4-2 with one attacker, one single striker, and with a playmaker behind the striker. And yeah, we just want to take a closer look at, at both of the teams um, deploying the structure. Um, it definitely has to be said before we take a closer look at both sides that, um, yeah, they do not always um, have a, a back four in the build-up. Schalke, for instance, use a single pivot dropping between the center backs in the build-up phase, so they have a back three when playing out from the back. And Bayern Munich um, are a bit more flexible in terms of their build-up shape, but they also sometimes have a back three when building up um, with either the right back Pavard staying with the back line and not moving up um, or with one of the pivots dropping into the back line, either Joshua Kimmich or Thiago. Yeah, and, and do you think that that's because those, the way they've set up is because they want to get the likes of Kimmich and Thiago or Fischalka and Mascarell on the ball early? Or is it something to do with the, the setup ahead of the ball? I think it's it's quite different. If we compare Schalke with Bayern, Bayern, I think they will have uh, Thiago dropping, Kimmich dropping because they um, want to have both of them on the ball. They want to uh, use their qualities on the ball, their passing abilities. And I think for Schalke, it is rather mis- uh, risk minimizing. So they try to have another um, defender or Mascarell um, is lined up as a midfielder, but he can, he can defend quite well. He has got defensive abilities um, and Schalke want to have him within the back line also in order to to have their fullbacks moving up the pitch. Bayern Munich um, have especially their left back um, Alfonso Davis who moves up the pitch when uh, Thiago is dropping and when Kimmich is dropping and they often try to um, create asymmetrical shapes as well. So with um, Pavard on the right side staying in in a deeper area they will overload this side and then quickly switch to um, the left side to Davis who plays a bit further up the pitch. Yeah, Cam, do you think that 
Bayern would be able to function with a right back as attacking as Davies? Or do you think that Pavard is just vital to allow Davies to be the attacking threat that he is? Um, I think with Davies having it, it does suit them a little bit just in terms of what Max was talking about with him dropping in um, a centre-back role. But likewise, I don't see a problem with... Um, I think they've been linked with Serginio Dest and people like that. Um, I, I wouldn't see a problem if occasionally it was Davies dropped in while Dest went forward or vice versa. Um, but teams having two attacking fullbacks isn't something unheard of now and Bayern don't usually face much of an offensive threat. It's more they get the ball and um, work around their counter-pressing structure more than anything. And that tends to be their highest defence. Their defence seems to just pretty much always stem from uh, keeping the ball high up the pitch. So if they can keep that structure, then I'm not sure it'd be a problem having two very attacking fullbacks. Do you think, and, and this is for either of you to answer, do you think they would perhaps limit the fluidity with which Bayern attack? I mean, when you look at the sort of front two or front four, even the amount of rotations and ability to, to swap uh, positionally makes them very hard to defend, particularly with the ball with the likes of Thiago Kimmich when they've got it in deeper areas. Um, do you think they had a high uh, playing right wing back that that would perhaps not happen, certainly not as fluidly? Um, no, I, I think it'll certainly make them harder to defend against because I, I think I've talked before on the podcast about how if I was going to set up against Bayern, I'd set up some kind of structure which pushed them onto the right side a bit and kept Davies away from the ball. Um, similar to what Liverpool did with Adama Traore was the example, I think. Um, and obviously, if you then have another good attacking fullback on that side, then you can't do that as well. Because um, obviously Pavard isn't the offensive threat that Davies is. Mm. That's an interesting thought. Um... I think I think it always depends on the on the timing as well. So Pavard is not um, always making these offensive runs, but. He is also occasionally joining joining uh, within the last third and then making overlapping runs in order to support Thomas Müller, for instance. I think it's more about the timing. So um, Pavard only does that after a switch of play. And I think um, it is necessary for, for one of the um, fullbacks um, to cover for the defensive uh, transition. Mm-hmm. Um, but after switches of play, it's it's definitely also possible to, to have Pavard in a higher role. Mm. Do you, I mean, let's, let's talk about the players in those, in those higher roles, in those higher positions. Um, I'd be really interested to talk about Thomas Muller to begin with and his role within this 4-4-2 system. Yeah, Thomas Muller is either deployed as a right winger or as a playmaker. And he's, um, yeah, that typical um, so-called Raumdeuter who likes to um, yeah, occupy free spaces, um, who has not one specific position, but rather... Um, tries to react on the opposition shifting and then tries to occupy free spaces in order to receive the ball and turn to play through passes or even to to um yeah shoot from a from from distance and um i think um he yeah suits to to um the right side of bayern with pavar as the uh, right back because once Müller attacks inside um pavar is able to to uh, recognize the free space um more than Alfonso Davis is on the left. Alfonso Davis is more of an attacking fullback who likes to run up and down the line um, the whole match. And Pavard is a bit more um, clever in terms of occupying free space as well. So that fits to to Thomas Müller as well. Yeah, 
Müller seems to get almost as much freedom as Thiago does in deeper areas with this system. Do you think that this 4-4-2 system that Bayern employ is the best uh, formation to um, to suit Müller? Well, I, I think uh, under, under mm. Kovac, uh, it seemed that uh, Müller didn't have the freedom he wanted to have. And uh, since Flick took over, he gained a bit more freedom. And I think, um, yeah, that suits him because of what I already said. Um, yeah, he, he likes to react on the opposition. He likes to um, recognize free space and move within the, these spaces. And um, with this freedom he has now um, in, the, in the playmaking position or as a right winger, he can uh, flourish more than he could under um, Kovac. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it certainly helps. Bayern's offensive structure, particularly in this formation as well, it's it's pretty much always spot on in terms of where they're occupying the spaces at. So the half space is pretty much always occupied. Um, if it's on the left side, Davies is always high and wide. And then if they switch it, you've got Pavard making that late run, which we've talked about as well. So it makes them harder to defend against when Muller doesn't take up a specific position for the whole game, especially when they're up against um, man-orientated teams in deep blocks like say Union Berlin or a team like that so it certainly benefits Bayern do I mean let's, let's talk about the the, the front line um, obviously Munich dominate games and the, the flicks certainly allows them to push players forward and uh, often in build up you'll see them in a sort of 3-2-5 even, even sometimes a 3-1-6 or even a 3-7 um, I mean how does this system allow them to commit those players forward without leaving them susceptible at the back. Um, yeah, so usually the offensive structure is it's more of a three-two-five um, with Kimmich and Thiago staying a little bit deeper. Um, obviously, you've then got five players committed onto the last line, and as I mentioned, the space occupation is good enough that it allows them to break through, and they've still got them principles of depth, height, and width. Um, Lewandowski usually providing the height depth with those two central midfielders and then the width by the, the wing backs or the wingers. Um so the the two central midfielders don't usually go into high areas at all really. Thiago does occasionally, um, but Kimmich will also then just cover across. So you've usually always got two central options who are directly behind the ball. So if they do lose it, um usually the counter pressing spot on. Uh against Paderborn it was it was pretty terrible really. Um because occasionally they just got caught with one player back. Um, I think Thiago was maybe wandering a little bit. And just as well, if, it, if it's Thiago and Kimmich, Thiago isn't necessarily the best tackler or most athletic player. So he's not the best counter-presser, but Bayern are so good on the ball. Within counter-pressing, you kind of get... If you want to stop counter-attacks, you either need to be better on the ball or better at counter-pressing, and Bayern don't lose the ball that often. So... I mean, possession-wise, under Flick, it's probably the highest of them, maybe um, Leverkusen. So that good on the ball that the opposition don't get that many counter-pressing opportunities. And when they do, um, sorry, counter-attacking opportunities. And when they do, it's it's a case of Bayern having those two central players. Yeah, and in addition to that, I think um, Bayern are mainly attacking down the wings, which is an area where it's easier to counter-press. They put in a lot of crosses, um, even more than Eintracht Frankfurt, um, what we will maybe be talking uh, about as well uh, at a later stage. Um, but uh, this allows them to counter-press um, the positioning of the of the central midfielders. And often it is also 
only one of the fullbacks um, pushing really high up the pitch. So uh, that allows them and that gives them a mm -hmm. very narrow, very very compact structure. And um, yeah, with shorter distances, it's easier to counterpress and it's also um, easier to defend. Even if you have Thiago in midfield, who is not the best def uh, defender, but um, yeah, defending is always um, a matter of space. And if you have to defend less space, then then it's easier. Yeah, that's a really good point, actually. Um, the, the that good in tight spaces, um, they don't have to occupy massive. They do play quite um, expansive football, but it's not so expansive that they can't counter press. So you've got they've got players who are technically good enough to play in tight little spaces. So if they do lose a ball. It's only tight space to recover into. Yeah, I think it's also worth pointing out. We we spoke about um, that the, how many players they commit forward. It's also worth pointing out how in in more advanced areas, if you look at their uh, defensive structure within this advanced area, so you maybe look at the defense, their back three, they are always camped 10, 15 yards inside the opposition half, making it so hard, even when the opposition regain possession, for them to be able to do anything with mm -hmm. it, for them to be able to... Uh, uh, relieve the pressure. So, um, Max, I'd like to ask how their attacking structure differs to Schalke, and I, I believe it differs a fair amount. So, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say. Yeah, well, Schalke's attacking structure is not as compact as the one from Bayern, for instance, because they do not, um, yeah, play as many short passes as Bayern. They, yeah, Bayern have a lot of um, uh, a lot of long possession phases um, and Schalke rather play the ball out to the to the fullback and then uh, try to play it long line or try to find one of their one of their strikers up front um, Bayern Munich instead they will try to build up with Thiago with Kimmich as already mentioned and play through different areas which is which is harder to defend against and um, Schalke instead will yeah try to play towards one side have a compact midfield as well with their diamond often deployed, and then uh, will try to gain second balls. So their attacking structure is different because they uh, have a totally different attacking style as well. Cam, do you want to jump on that? Yeah. So, like Max said, most of their most of their attacking opportunities come from them um, not not deliberately losing the ball, but creating opportunities where they may lose the ball, and then they can go and counter press and win it back. Um, obviously, they don't have players who are as technically gifted or as press resistant as Bayern do. So they, they do struggle to build up. Um, so they do just rely on those long passes. And occasionally when they can't win those second balls, it, it makes it really <laughs> hard watching sometimes. So something that Cam and I spoke about, and I want to jump back to Bayern, something that Cam and I spoke about before we recorded this podcast. Cam made a fantastic point. He said to me, do you think the high volume of crosses that Bayern put in is a result of the way they play or a result of the opposition structure? And it was a fantastic question. Um, and I certainly have my own thoughts on it. But Max, uh, as a guest, I would like to invite you to um, have your thoughts on that question. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, really good question. Um, because it's yeah very dif difficult to analyze it. Um, I think it's, it's both. Um, most teams will defend um, quite deep. They will have a compact um, defensive unit against Bayern Munich and that will... Um, obviously give um, Bayern space on the wings so that they are allowed to, uh, to play through the wings. Um, but it is also um, yeah, one of their strengths to put in crosses from wide areas. They have Lewandowski within the box and um, I think 
um yeah that against teams where they where they know that they will cross a lot um they will also line up Goretzka for instance um in midfield so he can also um use his aerial abilities um and then Bayern can can cross in after very long possession phases which allows them to flood the opposition box uh, which is very difficult to to defend I've analyzed uh, Frankfurt's way of crossing and they sometimes flood the box as well but they cannot flood the box with as many players as Bayern do because their possession phases are not long enough Bayern's possession phases are so long that their midfielders can also move forward and that yeah they can occupy the opposition penalty area with uh, sometimes five to six players and that also allows them to win rebounds and from there maybe play through passes again or shoot from the distance so it is it is both i think cam what did you think about this i think again it's a mix of both but i think um say if we compare it to frankfurt i think it's definitely more with Bayern. it's more a little bit down to how the opposition guide them there um obviously opposition um defenders look to prioritize the, cent- the central area because that's where the goal is um so i do think especially when it goes into say that three and you create the space for the wing backs um the ball does end up there sometimes and it's almost just a it's a bit difficult to penetrate the center so we'll we'll get a cross in and see what happens um frankfurt certainly i think frankfurt certainly look for it a lot more than bayern do um because bayern do always occupy the half space and which obviously then creates space for the wide area as well but I think Bayern do try a little bit more and they've got the quality as well to try and get into those tight areas and get through the centre. So it's a, it's a mix of both. Well, we'll move on to, we'll move on to Frankfurt in a second because that's, that's a very valid point that you've made there. I think um, you, you mentioned as well, Cam, that teams sort of want to dictate Bayern into those areas. And I, I think to an extent, Bayern are relatively happy to go into those areas. I think um, we mentioned mm-hmm. earlier as well, their front line incredibly swift with their rotations, looking for passes in behind the opposition defence. I mean, obviously there are disadvantages to being pushed into wide areas, but certainly from a variable standpoint, there are less defensive variables um, when, when you've had the ball in wide areas. The pressure's only coming from, from one direction. So um, if they're looking to structure sort of balls in behind the defence, that's at times uh, an advantage to be in those kinds of areas. Um, and if they can't work that ball in behind, and as you say, they can put that ball in and see see what happens. They've certainly got players that can cross. Um, I don't know. If, did we check earlier? Are Bayern the number one crossing side in in Europe's top five leagues? I'm not sure about that. In the Bundesliga as well, but I'm not sure on that. And a, a Frankfurt, a Frank. Okay, well, a Frankfurt must be pretty high as well. I know that they were the highest, and I know Bayern really um, stepped up and overtook them when Flick. Um, took over. So I, I would imagine that's a 1-2 for Bundesliga at least, right? Are you checking, Cam? Yeah, now, yeah. I wait with bated breath. I, um, okay, well, let's, let's, whilst Cam's looking, <laughs> let's talk about Frankfurt then. Um, that's a nice little segue to move into Frankfurt, who... Um, uh, well, Max, Max, introduce Frankfurt and, first of all, their style of play. Something that Cam and I spoke about earlier was how they sort of changed a very um, well-known and well-used formation for them sort of halfway through the season. Yeah, um, Frankfurt started into the season um, with the task to replace uh, several key players in the attack. Um, And they did pretty well. They got uh, Bastost up front now as an attacker. 
um, Silva up front and, and also Gonzalo Paciencia, who was not as good as he is right now um, in the last season. Um, and due to their attacking personnel, um, all possessing a lot of good aerial abilities, um, they have a wing-oriented attacking style. Um, they began the season with their usual 3-4-1-2 structure, so a playmaker behind two attackers and then a back three and two wingbacks who will uh, run up and down the line um, the whole match. And um, they will try to bring Kostic on the, on the left side or Da Costa on the right side into um, positions from where they can cross the ball into the box and where they can yeah, convert these um, opportunities. So that's their main attacking style, their, their main aim um, during the attacking phase. So when they when they started the season, Max, they were using this three four one two formation, which Adihuta um, used incredibly well the season before as well. When they had the likes of Jovic, Rebic, and Ala as their attacking line, um, first of all, what what did they change that formation to? And I'd be interested interested to hear your thoughts as to why they changed the formation. Yeah, recently they changed to a four-two-three-one or four-one-four-one uh, system, so with a back four. And I also thought a lot of uh, times about why uh, Hütter wanted to change that. I also remember that in the beginning at Frankfurt, Hütter wanted to deploy a back four system, and then decided because it didn't go well. Um, they lost to Bayern. Um, I think it was 5-0, and then he decided to uh, go back to the back three system that um, Kovac deployed before, and he deployed this 3-4-1-2 system um, for a very long time until um, a few matches ago where he decided to um, go back to uh, the back four. And um, I think, or the only the only reason that I see is that it is because um, he knows that his wingbacks in the, in the back three system have to cover a lot of meters. They have to um, yeah, have to run up and down the line because they um, do not have very long possession phases. It is um, very exhausting for their wingbacks. And um, in the end of last season, they really struggled also being in the Europa League um, to have um, players on the, on the wingback positions um, who can do these runs all the time. And um, in addition to that, I think he wants um, his wingers in um, a bit higher positions. So Kostic, for instance, is deployed as a um, left winger right now, not left wingback. So he has got less defensive duties now and he can yeah, counterattack in a, from a higher position and that would threaten the opposition with his crosses way earlier uh, during transition moments than before. Yeah, I, I, like, I like that you, uh, you said that he has less defensive duties now because they made me laugh because I, I don't I don't think he he particularly paid much attention to them in the first place. Um, we're big we're big fans of Kostic on the podcast. He's a unique attacking talent. Do you see similarities in the way he's used? Uh, and not necessarily comparing the two players, but do you see similarities in the way that he's used compared to how Bayern used Alfonso Davies? Is there an asymmetric formation there, or do they use Danny De Costa um, just as much in the attacking phase? Um, I think they want to use uh, Da Costa just as much in the attacking phase. They do not use him as much because um, Kostic is a bit more, a bit better in terms of the offensive output, and they will they will search Kostic a bit more than uh, Danny Da Costa. And Danny Da Costa um, 
yeah knows a bit more about his defensive duties so he will uh, stay back at times where where Kostic will just um, try to go forward so um, they will use Kostic more often but I think that is not really on purpose so these this asymmetrical shape that yeah that will just exist because because of the abilities of the players and because of the style of how they play but um, at Bayern they really want to have this asymmetrical shape in order to switch play and and um, isolate players and so on. Cam, I'd be interested to hear um, your thoughts on, first of all, the tactical setup of Frankfurt, but also its um, relevance in the Bundesliga, how many other teams have a similar approach. But before I do that, you've been quiet for about three minutes, so I'm hoping that you're ready to tell me um, some some crossing (laughs) stats right now. Um, So Frankfurt are fairly low. They are one, two, three, four. 10th in the top five leagues with 510. Oh, I thought you were going to say, but I thought you were going to say no. Bundesliga for a second. I was about the to, second uh, in the Bundesliga. Okay. 10th in the top five. Yeah. Um, okay. Man City and Liverpool are the top two. Uh, Manchester City have done 661. Interesting. Compared to Bayern's uh, 604, who are four. So Bayern and. And do, you, and do you know what? If we if we if we properly prepared for this podcast, Cam, it might have been a, a really interesting avenue to go down to compare uh, City and Bayern and, and whilst why they're crossing so high, but we didn't. So um, I was carry just saying, it kind of makes a point about deep blocks as well. And I mean, City and Liverpool, pretty much every at least every home game, exactly um, yeah. face a fairly deep block every time and um, very high PPDA numbers against them. Um, Mm-hmm. So, go on. Where where are Bayern in this in this table though, Cam? Bayern are fourth. Are they third? Fourth. Fourth. Who's third? Severe. Really? Interesting. Yep. Interesting. One more cross. Okay. <laughs> One more. <laughs> but, <yeah>. Wow. <laughs> I was going to say, well, brilliant. Now you can apply that and uh, tell us a little bit about Frankfurt system. Well, Frankfurt um, aren't as much as a, a possession team as some of the teams that I've mentioned already. Um, so I think they rely mainly on the transition opportunities to go and get go and get those crosses in. Um, obviously, I've said before I think they look for them more. Um, within say the the three four one two or three five two, it, it was quite easy for them to create those um wide opportunities to get crosses in, just because within a three at the back formation, um, the, the central occupation in that in, is quite good. So. Um, that therefore it's quite easy to get that that wide space, um, and also occasionally they did they did have uh, another central midfielder coming across into the wide area. So you'd have a two v one on the opposition full back if if they didn't bring a winger across as well. Um, so naturally within that three of the back formation, you you were getting space for your wing backs or your wingers, and that was usually Kostic at the time. Um, so, so they got crosses in, and I know Max wrote a piece about um, their offensive movement and how how many goals have they scored enough? Was it twenty two goals have scored off crosses? It could be definitely more than more than fifty percent of the goals uh, goals come from crosses, and for, around forty percent um, from crosses from open play. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, like I mentioned before, I think they look for it a bit more because that's that's one of their main offensive weapons, and they don't have uh, the quality around the technical side to get through really tight spaces in through the half spaces and stuff. Um, also with the recruitment as well, um, 
you can see they've recruited players who have that offensive movement and can get onto the end of crosses. So Bastos, um, Paciencia. I remember at the time when I think we did a, I think we did a podcast when Bastos was signed, and we said <laughs> it was a bit of a weird signing. Just it, it seemed the only reason to sign him is because he can head a ball and he can get on crosses, and that, that turns out that's exactly why they signed him. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, not, not a bad, not a bad idea in hindsight. <laughs> um, yeah, in, interesting. Cam, what what other teams in the Bundesliga have you seen that? Uh, play similarly, whether that's in a formation or in a style to Frankfurt. Yeah, they're probably relatively unique, just in terms of I'm looking down these stats now, and there's no teams um, particularly close to Bayern or Frankfurt with the crossing stats. The next one after that is Leverkusen, who again are more similar to Bayern with the possession style football. Um, so yeah, there's not many teams that operate in the way they do. Um, Max, do you agree or disagree? Yeah, I, I think. I, de- I definitely agree on this and I think not only in terms of, of the attacking style they are um, pretty unique but also in terms of build-up play um, they although they use um, a back three most of the times um, they sometimes even have a back four with one of the central midfielders even dropping into a deeper area so they have a lot of players in a in a deep area so I always call that two-platform football. They have one platform where they build up from. They've got a lot of players there and it's really hard for the opposition to press them because you won't commit four players forward in order to press Frankfurt's um, first build-up line. And then they have a second platform with a huge gap in midfield often. So the attackers and attacking midfielders and wingbacks will move high up the pitch and they often only have one to two midfielders um, where the opposition obviously has like a midfield three or even four players so they are heavily outnumbered there and then they try to try to um, bring a player during build-up into a position where he can either carry the ball forward at his feet or play a long ball into onto the second platform where they have a numerical equality and where they can gain second balls then if they if they cannot win the aerial duels um, they will quickly move up the pitch with their first platform and then close the gap and win second balls with their physical players. So that's pretty interesting and I think it is unique. Maybe there are other sites who, who also have these two platforms, but there is something um, which I've only depicted in that way um, at Eintracht Frankfurt. I was just going to mention as well about um, the, the counter-pressing opportunities that come from crosses. So I noticed it a lot in Liverpool's game against Atletico Madrid when... They kind of got, <laughs> got battered all over Twitter for putting lots of crosses in the game, which again was, I think, partly down to just how deep and narrow Atletico go. Um, but lots of Liverpool's chances came from that second ball after the ball had been cleared. Um, obviously, if you put a cross in and rush everybody in, um, like you mentioned, Frankfurt, don't do, um, then you lose that counter-pressing structure completely. Um Within when you put the crossing as well, the opposition become a little bit disorganised, or they can do, and they can also kind of get rushed into the ball to get it away. And Liverpool, I think Frankfurt do it as well, Bayern do it as well, kind of form a cage around the edge of the box and just kind of keep it around the edge of the box area and keep it in, and then eventually get a shot off. Or and I know Liverpool had loads of chances doing this with um, Oxley Chamberlain, mostly with his um, long shot ability. I think I think the overall vibe that I'm getting from this discussion is that when we talk about tactical trends within the Bundesliga, 
it is far um, less based on formation and far more so on principles of play, which seem to be very transferable between, mm-hmm. between different formations. And um, we'll get on to another team that I want to talk about in a second. But let's just let's just break this down. If we were to make some some sort of graph based on the tactical trends, and let's let's focus on principles of play, for example. What headings, what uh, categories do we think that we would be putting up there for principles of play within the Bundesliga? That's a good question, right? I mean, possession-based <laughs> football is definitely one of them. Okay. Because, I mean, Bayern and Leverkusen are, the, are probably the main two. Um, would we put any other teams well, with those two on that possession-based football? Probably Borussia Dortmund as well. Although they press a bit less active, but uh-huh. um, yeah, yeah, they are possession-based as well. Sure, okay. So, if we have possession-based as one category, um, what would we say? Transition-based, probably say. Transition-based. Okay, so define transition-based, Cap. Teams who don't look to um, have long build-up possession phases instead look to get the ball forward vertically and um, I suppose that's not really transition then. Um, The teams I'm thinking of are Schalke, Gladbach, Leipzig. Leipzig, yeah. I, yeah, I get, more... I get, I get, I totally get where you're going with this. I think, I think yeah, you could be as, you could go as simple as saying a, a intense pressing system. You could go with. I mean, having having said that, yeah. Leipzig's PPDA is uh, surprisingly surprisingly lower than what you'd expect. But I, th- I think certainly what you're trying to say is uh, creating mm-hmm. creating options through obviously yeah this vertical play, but also through an effective pressing system. Yeah, go with that. Okay, so would we would we chuck in any other teams of those three as well? You will also have Bayer Leverkusen there, I think. <laughs> but um, yeah, that's only because of the PPDA and not uh, because of their style of play, um, at least not in possession. Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Wolfsburg, you put them in. You could, you could put. You could, they you don't could, press you that could intensely. Shut them in there. I think what you what you'll find is, all the time anyway. Is it's it's very easy to categorize the teams at the top of the table. Uh, and as you go into the mid-table, certainly mid-table will be very difficult. I think when you go down to the bottom, it, it's a little bit more clear. Um, so let, let's let's do that. Let's talk about counter-attacking teams. Which which teams are counter-attacking teams in in the league? And you can, and that that's that's potentially a polite way of saying teams that sit back and and. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, I was going to say Hearth, but they don't really attack. Do they? So. <laughs> so so who would we put into into that category? Let's let's be polite and put Hertha in there. Who else would we put in there? <laughs> um, Mainz and the Baylors seem to have gone that way completely now. Um, they didn't look mm. like they were going to at the start. They seem to they seem to look like they wanted to do a bit of possession style. I mean, the game against Frankfurt was a good example of that. Um, but they, they seem to have just relied on counter attacks now. Um, Freiburg as well. I think the problem that appears is that it's different from manager to manager. For instance, under under Alexander Nuri, Hertha BSC is uh, so much relying on counterattacks. They simply sit back and try to uh, yeah, create chances through counterattacks. But before, it was, it was different. So um, it also depends on the manager. So I think we can say there's perhaps a little bit more amb- ambiguity when we look at some of the other teams. as their approach, maybe it's a, it's a mixture of things. Um, the, the last thing I'd like to talk about in this podcast, and we said that, it's not really down to the formation, but the last question I want to ask is about formations. We've seen some teams go from um, playing heavily playing a back four to going to playing a back three, and vice versa. We've seen teams that heavily use a back three going into playing a back four. 
Um, the, the club I'm interested to talk about finally is as manager uh, is Leipzig. Um, Cam and I have spoken about Leipzig before and their tactical flexibility. I know Cam's a big fan. I'd be interested to hear um, the benefits of switching from a back four to a back three with their three five two and I mean three four three to a lesser extent. Um, Max, can you tell us a little bit about Leipzig system? Yeah, I think in the beginning, Nagelsmann already wanted to um, yeah deploy his typical back three formations. Um, but then he sticked with the back four formations that uh, Rangnick um, also used. And um, yeah, in the first half of the season, he mainly used a 4-2-2-2, um, being a 4-4-2 um, most of the times, or uh, sometimes a 4-2-3-1 as well. So uh, playing mainly with a back four, which was mainly, I think, due to the principles um, from Rangnick, which were still, um, which were still uh, in the players' heads. And I think they therefore sticked with with these formations. And now, um, recently, they um, yeah changed to a back three system, which was mainly due to um, Nagelsmann's preference um, to play within a back three system. I think um, because uh, yeah, you will have a bit more, um, or you see a bit more of positional play since they play a back three system. Nagelsmann always has his wing backs as a sort of balanced players who. Um, yeah, ensure a balance between attacking and defending, but also um, a balance in terms of the the width that is provided during the attack. Um, so you will always have these wide players, and within the four two 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 system, um, the typical RB system, um, it is a bit more chaotic, and you will have um, not always a player providing width, and um, therefore a more structured positional play is not possible. And I think Nagelsmann now. Um, yeah, succeeded to um, combine um, the pressing intensity um, of typical RB teams with the positional play he likes and he favors with wing backs providing width and then with a focus on combining through the half spaces, up back through combinations and so on. Cam, anything you want to add to that? Yes, I think sometimes it's just a case of certain structures and certain formations work against other structures. Um, so, I mean, I wrote in the past three magazines, I think my articles have been on how to beat certain pressing strategies. So simply if you, within, and, and then my last one before that was um, how to coach tactical flexibility. Um, so within that, if the, if the principles of your team stay roughly the same, like the ones Max has just mentioned then, and you play a different structure, um, depending on what the structure of your opponent is, you gain an advantage by doing so. So certain formations like say a four four two press against um a three five two. Um that that back three can stretch as as we've talked about on the podcast a million times um and overcome that that four four two press because the first line's only got two players in it so it's a it's a three V two and then you've got space out wide as well. Um so within tactical flexibility it's about the principles of the team staying the same, but different structures work best against against different teams. So if if you can nail down your principles in your team and they can play in a variety of different shapes and ways, then you can kind of just manipulate your team to the opposition each time. And I don't think they're doing it every time, but certainly in some games um, they're doing it and, it and it works for them. And it makes them really, really hard to prepare against as well because if you imagine you're an opposition analyst and you're going to play RB Leipzig, it, it's a it's not a guessing game, but you've, all, you've, almost, you've almost got to think how are they going to set up um, 
against us, not how how's they usually set up. So you've still got to set up against the principles, but the formation that they can play is it can vary de- uh, massively. Fantastic, that's a very comprehensive answer there. Um, I don't think there's any con- concluding thoughts that you guys wanted to have as we wrap up this podcast on on um, terms of tactical trends. I think you know, obviously, as I've already spoken about, we're looking at principles of play, and there's certainly some overarching themes within the Bundesliga. Um, anything else that you guys would like to add before we before we wrap up? Well, I think um, with regards to the build-up phase and the back three and the back four, and also to uh, what uh, Cam just mentioned, I think it will be more and more about um, yeah the timing of the space occupation and not about um, constantly building up with a back three the whole game and not um, building up with a back three for the first mm-hmm. 30 minutes and then switching to a back four, but rather, um, yeah, like Frankfurt are doing it already and some other teams as well. Um, it will be about um, the players on the pitch recognizing free space and then situationally deciding, okay, now I will drop into into a full big position as a pivot and therewith create a back three. So it will be less about numbers and and more about uh, the spaces that will be occupied and so on and i think that um yeah was already a change this season that more and more teams became more versatile and i think that will um further increase within the within the next seasons i, I couldn't couldn't agree more um cam anything you want to add before we go uh, no just uh, i'll plug the email if you want i mean i think we've had a few more listeners in the yeah, in the few in the past couple of weeks simply because we're all stuck inside so um <laughs> if you've got any if you've got any questions or topics that you want us to discuss the email is tfa bundesliga at gmail.com and um, so send any topics or anything and, and we'll discuss them like we have done today yeah it's worth mentioning as well um we're looking at doing a set pieces podcast cam is mm-hmm. the most passionate man i've ever met when it comes to set pieces <laughs> um and we're also looking at doing a, a series of podcasts based purely on one coach per podcast and the impact they had on the Bundesliga. We'll be looking at formations, um, results, matches, and uh, even just even just stories and anecdotes about that coach as well. So that's something that we're looking at, at delving into as well. Um, in that case, there's a perfect time to wrap it up. So thank you so much for listening. And yeah, I don't think there's anything else to plug. Is there, Cam? Max, anything you guys want to plug before we go? Nope, I do enough. <laughs> nope. <laughs> nope. <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, Thanks for inviting yeah, me. <laughs> of course, anytime. Um, we'd love to have you back on. Okay, thank you for listening, everyone. Cheers.